I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and what's next. It's a show that asks questions and peels back the layers of our average everyday experience and goes beyond scratching the surface. We interview people doing incredible things who are making a difference around the globe. Join me as we listen in and get one step closer to understanding that big ideas shared create collaboration. Collaboration can inspire community, and communities create social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. And this next interview is with uh, Danai Elan and her film. Uh, we're talking about uh, P.S. Jerusalem. Again, you're going to hear some uh, noise in the background, but please, you know, I, I, I don't think it's going to be too distracting at all because the conversation is frankly so bloody engaging. So uh, stay tuned. It's, um, it's, a, it's a difficult film at times to watch because it's such a personal uh, story about this filmmaker and her family and how she's struggling with history. She's struggling with her own understanding of uh, what's going on in a country that she loves so dearly. And we learn a lot about their family. We, we, we get a, uh, a really uh, a deep, substantive inside look. But what's really cool about this film is we see it wrapped in a blanket of good questions, of questions that peel back the layers and that go beyond scratching the surface that are trying to get to really uh, the nuts and bolts, I guess, of what makes as humans. So again, what a thoughtful uh, director uh, Denai is, and I look forward to her next film. Looking forward to seeing this film again. P.S. Jerusalem, check it out. Uh, it's working on so many levels. You're going to enjoy this one for sure. Well, welcome to Face to Face, and uh, we are joined by another very special guest today, uh, Danai Elan. Yes. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us today. Thank you for having I'd me. I'd love to be able to say direct from Jerusalem, but actually it's just from uh, Montreal, right? Yes, yes. Or sorry, just from Montreal. Just, a little, not a little just a, from Montreal. Yeah, that's right. A little pejorative edge there right out of the gate on this <laughs> Saturday morning at the 40th anniversary of TIFF. So thanks for joining us. We're here to talk, uh, I hope, about more than just your film. Mm -hmm. I really do. And okay. uh, by the way, congratulations and a remarkable achievement. I, I, I loved your film. And, and as I said before the recorder was on, I wasn't sure if you were going to pull me in, but you did within, within a couple of minutes. And I think one of the things that really drew me in, and we're going to have to provide some context for the listener, because I'm going to assume most of uh, people listening to today's uh, podcast have probably not seen it. P.S. Jerusalem uh, is the film. It's Oh, and uh, yeah, and so... 
I should probably talk about where we're at. We're sitting here at the Hilton in Toronto. So there might be some background noise. So we're going to both uh, apologize for that now okay. and, and get rolling. So so I think what drew me in was was the questions, you know, my background in philosophy, your children. I mean, obviously that it, the dynamic, and by the way, you have a great voice oh. and your narration right out of the gate drew me in. So tell me about that. I mean, is this, is this a film about your family? Is it about asking better questions? Is it about racism? I mean, there's so, I mean, talk about a layered piece that you've created here. Um, I don't start out from a, um, eccentric uh, me point of view when I think about making a documentary. When it comes to the questions of very delicate questions of the um, layered and complex environment of the Middle East and of Israel-Palestine in particular, I really began feeling uncomfortable a while ago um, pointing the camera at other people either at Palestinians or at other Israelis for that matter because I realized that we were so um, induced with complexities and contradictions within within our daily life, daily expression, daily experience that the only way I could actually um, express that as a filmmaker was to um, subject my family to the very um, points that I criticize this society for. So take risks with your family but not with others. <laughs> um, I think that so much has been done in relationship to documenting the other. Oh, okay, yeah, good. That um, I have a real, I have more of a more, believe it or not, I have a more of a moral issue filming a child that I do not know over my own child risking of course, what that would mean for my relationship with my child. And so there's a lot of moral dilemmas that come with the idea of filming children. Or filming um, anyone. Or filming really, anyone for that I know matter, when I yeah. travel, I, I try to always ask the people I'm either with or the people I'm taking photos of, do you mind if I take a picture of you? And right. even sometimes, you know, and of course we'll show the kids or, right. or whoever, but I try to re respect not taking somebody else's image through a telephoto lens. Right. The temptation, I mean, it's right yeah. as a filmmaker. It's completely crazy. Yes, and also somewhat uh, misleading, if you ask me, because hmm. I think that looking at the reality, any reality in black and white, or good versus bad, or moral versus immoral, uh, act action versus inaction, is a very contradictory experience. Well, I mean, it's, a, it's a fake, who, right? It's a fake. It's a fake. And it's, uh, I saw an interview with Ken Burns recently and he talks about, yeah, I don't really care if the story is true or not. Right. Because what I want you to do is to, what you're going to be thinking about, what, you're, what it's, what it's going to draw out of you, right? right? Um, so can we provide a little context? Um, mm -hmm. tell, tell me about your own struggle. You know, you talk about feeling comfortable behind the camera. We don't mm -hmm. see your face, I don't think, in the film. I don't even think I see a reflection of you in the film, do I? You anyway. see my, my, my image once well, with the camera while I'm talking. Yes. There's a picture. Your husband says there's, exactly. there's a great photo of you, right? Yes, yes. So, well, that, that was an artistic choice. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, yeah. Because every single image in, that in this film is a reflection of me. Um, it's actually, I'm, it's not because I'm uncomfortable in front of my, the camera. I made two previous films, partly private and another road home. Uh, 
in which I, I, fe I feature, I actually am filmed in, in the scene. This was more of an exploration that I went on with my camera and my point of view through the camera. Um, my background comes from a cinematographic background. I studied camera work at NYU. I always loved cinematography, and I think that um, that was that's home base for me. And a lot of my feelings and emotions are are expressed through my camera. And so, actually, in this film, I feel far more exposed than I feel in any other film, um, because you might see me in an image, but you would never see me. And the image of this film is me. Well, I, love, is I love the irony of that too because really we're hearing about your story. We're hearing about this beautiful relationship you clearly had with your dad, or at least that's my take, yeah. and your family. And we're seeing some really uh, raw, honest moments between you and, and, and Philippe, your husband, mm -hmm. and your kids, who ask brilliant questions, by the way. Yeah. Uh, wonderful stuff. Um, so, is it, so, so tell me, before we get sort of dig into some of the, the, the film, but. Is it a film about you? Do you think? Is it more? You know, you talk about going home, mm -hmm. and, and 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 your your father's comment about home, which I want to return to. Is this about you um, absolving yourself of some responsibility? Perhaps are you coming to terms with your, uh, you know, the Middle Eastern crisis? I mean, there's so many layers, right? Because mm -hmm. you're also working through. It seems to me just. Uh, you know, from a global perspective, we could talk about the other and about forgiveness and reconciliation and racism and all these things. Hmm. I think I was tired of um, filming in Jerusalem is a very tricky I business bet. because the, it, Jerusalem has an image that is uncapturable. Hmm. And you cannot film; it burns the camera. Like when you turn on the camera in Jerusalem, you film images that are that are uncontrollable. You cannot control them, or they are beyond your. Exp own sense of expression um, and yet that was the place I grew up in and the place that I called home or that I just loved it for all its horror as well because that's mm -hmm. that's where I grew up um, and I've always related to myself on social and cultural and political terms I don't feel mm -hmm. that my life is unrelated to all those um, there's not my private life and 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 the, polit the politics or well, we're right all out of the gate, interconnected. Don't you, don't you say something about your dad? Every personal statement was also a political statement. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because because we were part of a, I was brought up in a political and cultural context that has history, that has a background, that has context, that has um, that has a purpose. And for good and for bad, it wasn't a isolated environment of a little home with a red roof and a fence around it and the mall, or for that mm -hmm, matter. Mm -hmm. And so I always looked at our behavior on those terms. And I find it fascinating to explore how, how we operate within these, within these realities as individuals, because we're subjected, we're, we're subjected by all these external forces. So in a sense, yes, we have private lives, but our behavior is not our own behavior. It comes from a much larger social political context. Everything we do everything affects we something do, And else, everything right? we are. The way I look at you as a white man from looking, I already have my perception of you. Right, right. Uh, 
right. you will and have a perception. And we haven't even said hello yet. And we haven't even yeah. said hello. Yeah, true. And I will immediately um, uh, respond to you based on who I think you are. In the Middle East, that takes a, a, a dim takes on a dimension that is unprecedented. It's just you. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you think. Your first. Who you who you belong to and who you look like you are, right. and that makes you behave in a certain way. And then, not to mention all the brainwash and all the all the other um, justifications that you put into your own being as an individual and who you are and why you believe in this and not in that. And it's all completely subjected by history. And so you start behaving in a way that is not only an individual expression. So you've captured, you've captured some behavior that's pretty vile in, in this film, in a sense, uh, with respect to the other, you know? Mm -hmm. And I mean the other in a, in a good sense, mm -hmm. respect to other human beings. I don't mean right. the other in kind of a, you know, a critique by Foucault or something. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, I don't yeah. mean that in that sense. Um, but some of the behavior, it was actually frightening for me watching it. You were in a hmm, coffee shop or in a mall setting right, and some right. young, young men, teenagers perhaps, were mm -hmm. getting very angry and just right. the slurs and the, the stuff that was coming out of their mouths. Really? Is this really going? 21st century, isn't it? Right. No, this isn't the Middle Ages, folks, right? Well, you just stand with the tripod in the center of Jerusalem today and you're immediately seen as a um, leftist, Arab, all, all the things that today in Israel are considered absolute curse. It's frightening to walk around with a camera in Jerusalem. Just the camera puts you on a certain political that's what you That's who you are. That wow. is who you are. Because you supposedly are. Camera supporting. means you're a journalist. Meaning supp I'm supporting Palestine. Meaning you don't really might want all the truth, be true. Right? It has nothing yeah. to do with yeah. it. It has yeah. to do with... And if, frankly, when you go, when you walk around um, Arab neighborhoods in Jerusalem, you're also subjected to the same kind of ideas. I mean, first you're a Jew, then you might, you know, hold an Israeli passport, then, 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 and this then never ends with you. But I'm, I'm, I think I'm talking about behaviors within ourselves that um, basically we don't realize how racists we are, how, how we behave within these contexts. And that was what was interesting Well, I think me. what is so beautiful, too, about the, the snowfall at the beginning, the snowfall at the end, uh, your ch and sort of framing this around your family and your children, this microcosm of p potential racism, right? Yeah, so this right. idea of you if, you, if you raise a child as a um, uh, conservative uh, right-wing political thinker or you go you know way left well that's kind of what they're gonna be crafted into right these children or not or or not and so perspective and situation and so on and I see these angry young men some of the things they were saying to you yes. was it to you yeah 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 oh man um, no I, uh, I filmed all of this yeah it's just uh, remarkable to me but um, look look at my son okay, a Jew has a soul an Arab is a I've, I've got it down here somewhere, yes. Some, something like that. I'm going to try and yeah. translate yeah. it to you, but yeah. you know, think about the condition of my seven-year-old son. Here he was being brought up in a bilingual, binational school, forced to choose a side because you can, he's not an Arab and he obviously is a Jew. And if he's a Jew, what does that mean? 
I mean, he ha if he's a Jew, that means that he is associated with the soldiers and with the demolitions and with all the things that his mother is showing him are wrong. Right. And I started um, realizing how affected he was by the idea that he really could not belong anywhere because he figured it out by himself that only by stating that he's an American, right. he was going to survive this. This was excruciatingly painful for me. And at the same time, I said, you know what? You're right. You are right. You're not a Jew. You're not an Arab. You're, in this situation, an American. Because that means he doesn't have to choose. Because he was constantly being confronted with a choice that had nothing to do with his personality or with who he was. It was a larger condition. So let me go a little corny, perhaps. At what point are kids going to start to say, are we going to start to say that we're members of a more global community, that we're members of the human race? Are we both like idealistic are we? cases to think that way? Are we? You know, do, am I a Canadian? Like, no, are we members of the human race? I right, mean, right. Oh, I see. Right? You're actually right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'd like to think so. I'd mm -hmm. like to think we're in this together, right? And yet, like you say, uh, you know, a few minutes ago, you meet me, my male, tall, thinning on top, <laughs> right? And you make your judgments. And I wasn't and, judging. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. My daughter, Victoria, doesn't want me to grow any hair. I'm 50 in a couple of days. And uh, um, no earrings, no piercings, no tattoos, and don't grow any hair. So it's, uh, we've got most of those. <laughs> <laughs> the belly button ring, I'm starting to get used to, though. So, oh. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I'd like to think we are, you know, in this together, in a sense. And you don't want to go corny and, oh, let's all get together in and, and one big, wide embrace. Of course, there's going to be difference. So, so I guess what I want is similarity through difference. How's that? I think in Canada it might be possible. I don't think it's possible anywhere else. And I think wow. that even here in Canada, it's not possible. Because you know what? My kid, the first thing he comes home from school here in Montreal, and he says, the French side of school hates us. Oh, boy. Wow. Okay. Wow. And nice. I, I walk around Montreal, and I am constantly the first year apologizing for the fact that I don't speak French. Right. Now I yes. do, but I yes. still speak with an accent. And I know that I'm never going to belong. And everybody tells me that as well. So I think there's something about the human condition that in this, in this place that some call Israel, the others call Palestine, uh, that is taken to an extreme. So if the first thing that my son has to say about his school and about the fact that he does not want to go onto the French side because he's going to have to because of immigration laws if we decide to stay here is, I don't want to go onto the French side because they hate us. I don't know how to protect them from, from that. Um, what, what strikes me is the division, is the separation, you know, uh, and you talk a great deal. In fact, you just, you know, you mentioned it again about, about belonging, your, your kids. I mean, I, I certainly feel best when I'm at home or when I'm feeling at most at home. And there's certain things I do, certain people I'm with. Uh, and I think there's something to be said there. And I think, you know, you talk about wanting to go home. Uh, comment that your father made, he never felt like he believed in home uh, at the end of the film. Uh, and I think that's, it, it just, it really stood out to me. And, and I wonder, your dad, this academic, who by the way, I think I love, um, I hardly got to know him at all, but, but just hearing him, the Noam Chomsky mm -hmm. of Israel, right? right? I mean, just 
I, can't, I, I wanted to hear that paper that he was delivering continue. You right. know, um, he doesn't believe in home, and yet I wonder if actually that's exactly what he believed in, and, and it was precisely why he was critiquing this this uh, this country that he at one time loved or at one time believed in, and then left. So I guess I'm asking a question about belonging and home. Right. I I think my father was cynical about yes. the idea of home because, I mean, my father fled Europe as a little boy and had to leave a very comfortable middle-class life in Vienna. Um, I think probably that he quite loved. Mm. That mm -hmm. in, he, he may have left when the same age that of my, a little older than what Tristan was. Right, right. Um, personally, if you ask me, I think my father did return home. He returned home, and I think Italy was his home. I think it was something that maybe reminded him of, of what growing up in Vienna was all about. Um, in a very visceral way, he would never admit it. And please forgive me, Father, if I'm saying something that is really upsetting to you and may. Um, however, uh, and, I, and I really can't make that assumption entirely, no, but I, I, I really, I, I, I think I can, I can, if I talk on the emotional level, that is a possibility. Um, he was disillusioned with this idea that Israel is the home for the Jewish people. Mm. Um, I was disillusioned with the idea that Israel is the home for the Jewish people because I don't think it should be the home for the Jewish people. And yet, I didn't go home to Israel because I thought I was returning to the homeland of the Jewish people. I went home because that is what, that is where I grew up and, and where I wanted to be. The fact that it is defined as such, and if you decide that you do not want to live upon those criterias, then you have a really big problem fitting in and allowing your family to fit in. Because if you do not buy into the Zionist idea of Israel, and you actually would like to see it become something else and be part of a community that strives for it to become something else. Um, you are in the minus, minus, minus minority of, of, of being. Are you a cynic like your dad, would no, you say? not at all. No, you're a hopeful idealist. I mean, how can you make a film otherwise, right? Yes, like this? yes, yes. No, so I'm not a cynic. I, I cannot tell you that I didn't know that my I can't tell you that my father, that I don't have that I was not skeptical about going back or I wasn't horrified that I was doing something really wrong. I knew what we were stepping into. Um, but yet I still wanted to fight for something. I wanted to, 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 I wanted to be around the people I love most. And those are Arabs and Jews in Jerusalem that share my own values and that share my values about life and about the place that we wanted to create and is it, live in. It, is it really polarized there, in a sense, politically, ideologically, um, religiously? This, that, up, down, black, white, you're either there or you're either here. So, you know, you've got this metaphor of the fence and of the wall, right. one side or the other. Is that, or, or please tell me it goes a little, it's a little more nuanced when you, when you, I don't know, at, at a university level or, or uh, at a public, sort of in a public discourse-like way, you know? Or is it really, it's us and them? I think the majority is us and them, mm. yes. I think that um, people are being burned alive in Israel and 
nobody is doing anything about it. Um, I think that this is, it's, 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 it's the, if it wasn't so polarized, this would not be happening. Um, it's not only polarized, it's profoundly unjust. Mm. Um, and I, it, one way of surviving in that reality is living within your own community. And then you only feel how polarized it is once something horrible happens. And then you become really so, scared. So there's a, a scene in the film, a, stuff, uh, a sub sort of text in the film about a family that gets a court injunction on a space, a living room space yeah. in an apartment that looks quite lovely, by right. the way, from the outside anyway. So we've got a Jewish family saying, I own a part of this apartment, and then they move in. Is that what actually happened? There's this uh, monstrous settlement uh, at the top of a mountain in the middle of a very densely populated Palestinian neighborhood in East Jerusalem. Uh, and it used to be the headquarters of the police, and then Irvin Moskowitz, this American right-wing tycoon that buys up all this property in East Jerusalem, bought the police out. Okay. Wait, just, and moved just, them to somewhere in the desert. Is that desert. your next, the, no, the, the no, next no, film just, you're making? I, I really do not want to make films not about settlers. No, I don't. I, I, just, I like making films about people I like. Sounds crazy that we yeah. bought out the police. Well, yeah, so it's, it's, yeah, but that yeah. you know, it's yeah, like yeah. these absurd. Only the, this reality creates absurd situations. Right. And it's what? Good. And 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 the absurd situation here was that there was one home left, which the settlers didn't manage to get out. Uh, they, they didn't manage to, to evacuate the family or to find ways to evacuate them. Um, and there was a deed, apparently, that basically traced the family's living room, the, the, that piece of their land, to a Jewish owner uh, before 1948. Wow. So basically, after years, I mean, imagine this is a Palestinian family fighting one of the biggest, richest tycoons in the United States with all means possible. Finally, they lose the court case. And, I mean, I, it's, it, this is beyond justice because in East Jerusalem, uh, Jewish property can be reclaimed, not to mention that half of West Jerusalem cannot be reclaimed by Palestinians living in exile. So it's like, where, where's the law here? And so this absurd situation of the family losing their living room was just a small example of something it's completely insane. absurd and insane. It's utterly insane. Right. Um, but I want to say something yeah, about the polarization. Yeah, In the past two years since we've been there, the situation has gotten so much worse. My friends that are married to Arabs in Jerusalem, mixed marriages, couples that are terrified that this is going to turn into a bloodbath. And they say, this is, this is Germany, 1939. This, wow. is, this is what's going on. Wow. A year after we left, a child was burned alive in the Jerusalem forest. And the people that were supposedly, who supposedly did this, managed to kind of get some sort of insanity claim to their favor. Not to mention these people that were burned only, you know, a month ago. And, and the killers are still running free. So your husband makes a pretty interesting comment. He talks about um, uh, uh, violence based on revenge. 
I don't know that I've I've heard that distinction before, mm. in a sense. I mean, it makes perfect sense when you start to unpack it. But this idea of, I guess, racism, hatred, uh, uh, um, demonization of the other, etc. And I go, sorry to invoke the Lord of the Rings, but there's a great line where King Theoden or somebody says, "What can man do about such reckless hate?" Right? Right. What What can you do? I mean, honestly, burning alive and and, and these kinds of absurd situations. And obviously, it's on. It is on both sides of the fence. It's right. not an either-or distinction, right? Right. Um, do you have any answers? Do you have any solutions at this point? What? I think that 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 we're living in a time in times that are profoundly sad and disturbing, mm -hmm. and that um, we're part of a global community that is witnessing revenge and, and horror on a daily basis. And it's all done through images and by manipulating images and using the very techniques of Western society drama to evoke the very horror. I mean, this is, a, 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 I mean, ISIS has mastered this, this, this setting. Um, it seems to be all based on, on these notions of, of revenge and, and, and terror. Um, I think the um, it's to, again to say that your film is nuanced and layered is an understatement. But this polarization for me is really troubling because I, as a philosopher, um, you know, I studied philosophy of science, right? And it's it's the same thing, right? Yeah. You get into epistemology, you get into knowledge questions. Well, it's either true or it's false, yeah. and, uh, and therefore we. Let's not focus on fiction because fiction isn't really true, and right. I mean, I grew up mm -hmm. in an environment like that. I grew up with not so much my parents, but people around me say, "Well, don't read fiction; read nonfiction because mm -hmm. that's where the truth is." And as I've grown and matured, and thankfully my kids are in the same place, trying to teach them the truth is uh, 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 what the story points to, mm -hmm. right? What the film points to, not necessarily not that statement. And I think it's something Philippe, your husband knows, and your kids know, and your dad knew. Uh, I get frustrated going, I, I see the line, I see everything connected to that, mm -hmm. this polarization of, of, of the idea, of the other, uh, and issues. Yeah. If I would like to come back to that initial question of why I chose to make a personal film and in mm -hmm. such a matter, and I think this question of the truth is what constantly um, motivates me as a filmmaker, because whether I no, I don't start out thinking that I know the truth. And only by examining the most intimate of moments within the family environment in connection to how they relate to the larger social political context, do I manage to extract how that larger social political context affects us and how we're affected by it. And what does this mean for the larger picture? Can, can you quote your father uh, at the opening of the film? Because I can't, and uh, and when I was scribbling down my notes, I didn't quite get it. But but essentially, it's sometimes people are more interested in what sounds true rather than what actually is true. Um, you caught me off guard. Yeah, no, that's okay. No, no, um, it's uh, uh, it's he says something to the effect of we have seen that that what we thought was true is more important than what actually was true. Exactly. So in other words, we're talking about media, yes. we're talking about images, we're talking about the distortion of Often, the actual story. Yes. Wow, I should be <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Are you um, sure you didn't have to take that call? Yes, I Okay, am. good. Um, 
Was it Ridley Scott calling? No, 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 no. I think, um, I think that what we want to believe is true is more often more important than the truth is very much the foundation of what Israel has Mm. been created on. Mm. We wanted to believe something. We thought that that was the truth, but the truth was very far from it. And there has, if you talk about um, this polarization and mixed up identities and you, you're, you've, crea- you've created a situation where what you've taught yourself, what, you've, what, what you have taught yourself with, or, or, or told yourself that is true um, is, is not only so far from the truth, it's, it's a lie. And so if you are bringing up generations upon generations of people to, to still believe in that and not facing um, the historical context and the reality as, as it really was, which nobody can really tell anymore because it's all part of well, that same... This is the craziness for, for people like me who actually sort of think that uh, I'm arrogant enough to think I'm kind of in the know. And I read and I, you know, watch films and so on. And then I see a film like yours and I go, holy smokes, I have no idea what's going on over there. And, and to even assume for a second that I could is kind of absurd, right? I mean, context, putting yourself in other people's shoes, etc. But it is a tough part of the world. Yes. I mean, I'm laughing because of, oh, a great line too, by the way, from, uh, was it Tristan? Mm-hmm. Who said adults laugh when they're afraid? Which yes. is lovely, yes. by the way. What yes. a great observation. Yes. It's absolutely yes. brilliant. I mean, kids are incredible. Oh, kids are, are, are unsubjected yeah. by yeah. all of yeah. this. And yet, um, they will tell you things as they are. Oh, yeah. And oh, without yeah. thinking about it. Oh, the it. circumcision stuff is awesome, too, by the way. So I hope some of these phrases are capturing enough people's attention to say, hey, i got to see this film. But yeah, the, the, these two young boys talking about circumcision and, and the division right. as a result of this thing. This process, this Mm -hmm. medical and/or religious practice, right? Right, 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 right. right, right. When you there's a shot in the film, and we probably got to wrap it up shortly, sadly. uh, But there's a shot in the film, and and you're sort of panning Jerusalem, Mm -hmm. and you're kind of you're 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 kind of narrating over it about the division. Was really a a, a kind of a spine-chilling moment for me. Um, You see, the Jerusalem. You don't really see Jerusalem that many times in the film. This comes back to the idea of Jerusalem being an impossible city to film because right. every angle you try to capture it from is a choice and every choice hmm. means a political statement and every right. statement means that nice. you're on one side of the fence and not the other which talks about the polarization so if I even in this conversation say is it Arab Jerusalem is it Arab East Jerusalem is it East Jerusalem is it West Jerusalem the fact that I divide West and East Right. The fact that I define, yeah. is it an yeah. Arab-Palestinian neighborhood in East Jerusalem, that means that I am thinking that the only solution is a 1967 division of the borders, right. Right. which I think, so it never ends. It never ends. It never ends. You should have had more drone word. shots, perhaps? Is that what you needed? No, but, no, but even <laughs> when you choose to, even choosing an apartment, where to mm. live, mm-hmm. where do you live that is not um, ridden with so much context that is basically... Unbearable. Do you know yeah. that this house that we moved into, when we first moved into to Jerusalem, the first house we arrived to, and it's not part of the film, and I'll tell you what the story of this house was. We moved in, and a week later, the landlord comes in. He's like, do you know the story of this house? And I said, no, what's the story of this house? He says, well, the previous landowner that lived here, landlord that lived here, he was killed in a suicide bomb. 
And I, all of a sudden, I found myself in this house in Jerusalem, and we were the only, the new tenants living in this place after this man was dead. And I, th I started looking at the moldings and all the plantings, and this was a house he had planned, and here we were. Mm. I felt that that's mm -hmm. when I started feeling that I was beginning to live a, a very um, unexpected and frightening reality um, of what it meant to bring my children into this. Unexpectedly, because I tried to choose the right house. I tried it not right, to be a former right. Palestinian house. I tried right. for it to be in the right side of town. I tried, I tried, I tried. And yet, this and, and that house felt haunted to me. Um, so I'm going to ask you a couple things. You can choose to answer any of them or all of them, uh, depending on if you need to take that call or whatever. Or we need no, to no, go. No, it's fine. Um, but I've I always, I always end my interviews with, can we do a part two? Because we, we're barely scratching the surface here, it seems to me. But to me, your film's a love story. It's a love story about being at home. It's a love story to your family, to your father. It's really quite lovely on so many levels and compelling and raises so many uh, um, um, important questions about uh, others and politics and all that. But for me, uh, I think I can smile because, you know, Philippe says too, I think to Tristan about, and I've experienced this with my son, about the questions. And he was in some sort of um, loop back asking all these crazy questions. And then Philippe says, you're not asking the right question. Yeah. You're asking how, why is red red? Right? Right. Isn't he doesn't that, know how to answer the question. Well, and, and, but, but in this case, uh, for me, it just, it went, that's exactly it. We got it. And, and to ask the right questions, you kind of have to have a little bit of an understanding. You've got to walk in somebody else's shoes, which is why it seems to me these kinds of films are so are so important. Maybe I'll give a little bit of context yes, about please. this scene. Is we're in the car driving back from a settlement where our so-called um, son, who goes to an Arab Jewish school, makes friends with the only son boy in the school that is basically comes for a from a settlement, a Jewish settlement. Why there was a, a boy from a Jewish settlement in an Arab Jewish school, it has to do with his Russian mother who loves Arabic and basically thought that it was practically fine to bring up her son in such an environment and yet live in the settlements at the same time. This is the kind of complexity you find in Jerusalem and this is why it's so such a fascinating place. But um, So we're coming back and Tristan starts asking us about the army and about soldiers and what soldiers do and why do soldiers do this and not that. And Philippe and I find ourselves in a very, very difficult situation. Also because we've just come back from the West Bank and witnessed everything that goes on there. And we were not in a good mood. And Tristan is actually asking all the right questions. And the truth of the matter is, is that we as parents had no answers for him. So what do we do when we don't have answers for our kids? We scream at them. And we blame Ben for <laughs> asking great. stupid questions. It's true. Where in reality, yeah. that scene was meant to show how, actual, how wrong we are. Because he was the only intelligent person in that car. Well, isn't it the parents saying, because I said so? instead of actually unpacking it with their kids, which I said I would never do with my kids. Right. And um, uh, because we don't have the answer, or we're uncomfy, or right. we're afraid. Right. So we blame them. Right. We blame them. Don't ask the, the question. No. Like, you're bothering me. You're bothering me. Yeah. And the truth of the and that seems... But don't we do that as a culture, too? I don't, don't you know. Think? I think so. You know, so. politically. I, yeah. and I think when we don't have answers, we blame the other. 
Yeah. And there's nothing better than blaming your kid for a wrong question, right? Um, these, this is all, you know, this is all candid in the sense that I think that it, it does take a lot to expose that about your family and that you also have to show moments about yourself that you don't really want to share with the world and yet those are the most truthful moments. Thanks for your time today. I can't believe uh, how generous of a, uh, a conversation. No, I hope we you. can do a part two. And I hope um, so. I welcome. Hope this to was okay with the. Yeah, with all the background, background noise. We'll see. We'll see how it all pans out. I'm sure there'll be some complaints from my listeners, yeah, but they can cope. So, uh, thank P you. P.S. P.S. Jerusalem. Do you want to talk a little bit about the film just as we wrap up, like the production side of it, or anything like that, or just this is world premiere, isn't it? This is the yeah. world premiere. It's um, going to show a few times at TIFF. It will come to Montreal. Um, will then go on hopefully to other festivals and have a life. And make you rich beyond your wildest dreams. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely, that is absolutely <laughs> That was one sure. of your goals, right? Of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.